As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and this is the Premier League Tonight podcast. Now, you no longer need to worry if you missed the best Premier League debate show first time round. You can now catch up on iTunes, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts. Just make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. And with all of last season's top four in action on Saturday, we've got a blockbuster show for you. Joining me at the King Power Stadium to discuss today's biggest talking points were footballing heavyweights Rio Ferdinand, Stephen Gerrard and Glenn Hoddle. Now remember, if you want to get involved in the show as one of our fan pundits, then please email btsportfanpundit at gmail.com. Premier League tonight is all about the fans' voice. So enjoy this week's best bits. 5-0, another goal fest. Not much really I can say at the moment, just on fire, City, real looking untouchable. Obviously the game next week is going to be difficult, but at the minute, I don't fear anybody. Don't get me wrong, it was not easy, and there were signs today that Southampton were going to get an equaliser. Jose threw on a couple of defenders extra and made sure we saw it out, but it's these kind of victories which could prove vital when the Premier League is being handed out at the end of the season. Obviously, City winning 6-0, United winning 4-0 left, right and centre. It's nice when you do that, but these, these victories are just as important. They are, Adam, and this is um, a tweet from Samuel Luckhurst, who uh, writes for the Manchester Evening News. Eight goals in, eight for Lukaku. He's reached that number quicker than Cantona, Cole, York, Van Nistelrooy, Van Persie and Ibrahimovic. And it feels like he's stepped up, doesn't it? Yeah, these are the games that you want to see him scoring in the tight... Now biting one nilers, they're important games. They're important goals. Last season, United would have dropped points here, hundred mm. percent. They they had eight nil nils last season. Mm. He is a big difference, and he adds the pace, the strength, the power, and goals. And alongside him with Rashford and Martial coming into form, it's a front three to be reckoned with. When can we really start to assess him, though? At what point does he get tested? I think further on into the season, uh, when it comes down to maybe the big games that decide the title race and also in the Champions League in like the last 16, the last eight, you know, can he be the difference against your Real Madrid's or your Barcelona's if you come up against one of them teams? But I think he's lifted everyone at United. You know, you talk about Rashford, uh, Mkhitary and Pog, but I think he's lifted them all and he certainly started his, his career at Man U on fire. It's a great start for him when you invest that sort of money into someone. There's a lot yeah. of pressure on him. If he'd have gone sort of four or five games without a goal, strikers that that builds up, the pressure builds up. But he's he's got rid of all that now. It's all all the chains are off his shoulders. He can go and play. And you know what? Every game he probably believes in that dressing room. He sits in there thinking, I'm going to get another one today. Mm. And that's a great feeling for a striker. And do you think the fact that Martial's played well, Rashford continues to be among the goals and looking good. Do you think even those players that might have felt threatened 
by him coming in have lifted their game, have responded to him. I don't know if them boys would have felt threatened. I just feel that he would have come on and helped them get... You don't think Rashford would have thought over the summer, make me on number nine, play me up top, don't go and buy something? Yeah, I think deep down he would have had that in him, but I think he knew he would be getting games somewhere else. And I think he's not silly, Rashford. He's a mature young boy and he knows that he's going to get games in and around, playing with Lukaku, playing as a number nine at times, maybe in cup games like he did during the week. So he's a player who still needs to evolve and learn and playing in different positions can only help him. I think the key is what you, those three you've just mentioned compared to last year, they've got pace. Mm. There's pace in that United side. Last year they didn't have that pace, Rashford had it a little bit, but they've got three now and you can play off each other. If you've got one player that's got pace, you can snuff him out. But Ibrahimovic has done fantastic score goals, but he wanted to come towards the ball. Now these three, at the right time, they can go in behind and it stretches the pitch for then your little technicians. Be interesting to see how he reacts as well when Ibrahimovic is back fit and he's breathing down his yeah. neck for the starting position. You yeah. know, can he cope with that pressure behind him that he that he wants to start? Because I'm not sure Ibrahimovic is going to be a good sub, and he will be putting pressure on to start games. It'd be interesting. Uh, loads of comments coming in about the two Manchester clubs. If you want to join the conversation, it's uh, hashtag PL tonight. Uh, Serge Adams says, if that was last season or the season before, we'd have drawn. I have no doubt about it. Manchester United finally showing some shrewdness in closing off games. You said that to me earlier, didn't you, in the Winnebago before we came on air? Yeah. We have a Winnebago. Yeah. It's being able to finish, see games out, get, yeah. get a goal and stiffen up the team and know that you can roll your sleeves up and, and take a 1-0. It's OK beating teams four and fives here and there, but when the games are tight on a knife edge and being able to finish them games with a clean sheet and a 1-0 victory, tight games, that's where the confidence comes in. It starts going through the team and there's a conviction then that grows within that team. And I think Lukaku, I think he's going to be judged towards the end of the season like we spoke about earlier, Stevie said. In the big games that are deciding titles, that's when the nerves come. That's when you see, are you a real technician? Are you a real marksman in them situations? I think the team will as well, let's be yeah. fair. What they've done this year is those games that, that they, they should have won and there was man of the match for the opposing, the opposing goalkeeper. Mm. I, I, we covered lots of games for United. They've put that to rest. They're, they're winning them games, but so far they've not really been tested by one of the big teams. And in Europe, no disrespect, Fairnod was a little bit of an easy game for them as well. So the bottom line is there's still that test there for Lukaku and the team. And off camera, you just pointed at Mourinho and did a knowing nod, didn't you? Well, I think he's the difference. I think when they get the noses in front now, he's got them well drilled. I think he's got them putting the bodies on the line. He's got them organised, difficult to play against. He's made them bigger. He's made them more physical. And that, that, that's why he's so successful as a manager, because he gets results like today. They don't play well. They weren't fluent, but he gets three points at a difficult place. Scribbs says the same at official Scribbs. Awful game to watch, terrible performance, three points. Um, and lots of love for Phil Jones as well on social tonight. Uh, if you want to join in the conversation, do. Andrew Wall, not at our best. We defended well, especially Phil Jones. Um, United defensively solid again, says Danny. Phil Jones finding his best form. And uh, Alonso says Phil Jones turning out to be the player Fergie bought. And Hersher, Phil Jones dropping 10 out of 10 performances week in, week out. So Alex told us he was a defender um, and we, we should be proud of him. Um, however, in the last half an hour, that has been some news from Manchester United. This is um, an official club statement on these continuing um, Lukaku chants and the club have released a statement that says um, Manchester United has a zero tolerance stance on offensive chanting and behaviour. The club and player have been clear in asking for an end to the chant and this is the, the news really. The club is now in discussions with the police and has asked for CCTV footage from Southampton and will try to identify those who disrespected the players' wishes not to sing the song. So that's the news coming out of uh, Manchester United this evening. But the news on the field is that both Manchester clubs look brilliant. Even as a former Liverpool player, can you look beyond City or United for the title at the moment? 
I know we're early. I know we're early. <laughs> Didn't we all say before you don't really get excited till you're 10 games in? I, I agree. I still stand it's by that. Days, yeah. It's early days, Jake. It's early days. Even though it's early days. In the context listen, of it being early days. They've only jumped a few fences in the national. Yeah. <coughs> go yet. Well, listen, they're both looking really good. Bless yeah. you. Thank Twice. you. Sorry. It's <laughs> all this talk of City doing well. You see, it's making him. Yes, yeah, it's giving me a bit um, of an itch. They have looked good, though. I mean, City have been brilliant at the start of the yeah. season. Oh. The last few games, 16 goals scored, none conceded. Yeah. No, to watch to watch City at the moment is oh. just scintillating. Mm -hmm. That you got Sane on one wing, you got Sterling scoring goals now as well. You've got Hezos and you've got Aguero. I mean. That front four there, we've backed up by um, Silva putting things on a plate. De Bruyne, it's, it's, to watch them with the two fullbacks flying, it's, it's great football. Uh, Banana Silva hasn't even had a look in I yet. I haven't even seen him yet. Oh. You know, it's a mate How much was the it? The goal, well, I don't know. It's, Loads. The goal today was absolutely exquisite. Yeah. When you see it, it's fantastic. It's messy-like. Defensively as well, they've tightened up. Yeah, I think yeah. going to the threes helped them. You yeah. know, when they had a four last year, we were always talking about Stones or Otamendi or yeah. the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper's made a big difference and they've tightened up with the five. Mendy's been great as well. He arrived in typical Mendy style. He's already brilliant, isn't he, on social media. He arrived wearing, uh, wearing this crazy hat today. I like that. Um, he will be a miss, though, if he's badly injured. Went off today injured. Yeah, in terms of delivery and putting the ball in a danger area, he put a ball in today for Aguero. It was a, a beautiful ball. Mm. And either way, he crosses the ball. We watched him last year in the Champions League for Monaco. I mean, he puts the ball in from all angles, anywhere. And he just, all he worries about is delivery. And for a forward, it must be a dream to play with. And they've got two up there as well now, yeah. Jesus and Aguero. They've made, they've made a system. The three at the back gives you that opportunity to mm. play the two down the middle. And, play. and they're, they're lethal, aren't they? They want to get on the back of defenders. They'll hold it up. They're, they're intelligent players and they just play off each other. And they'll get better and better the more they play together. Charismatic says on Twitter, if you take a look at how uh, much depth City have, uh, have got in their squad, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'll tell you what, after the results today, with Chelsea going to Stoke and doing a job there, which Arsenal failed to do and United failed to do as well, um, it is a brilliant game, isn't it, next weekend, Chelsea-Man City? Yeah. Massive. Massive. Live on BT Sport. <laughs> uh, right. Lots of three-word match reports coming in. Chris Hales says, need new heart. He's a Liverpool fan. And as they leave... These Liverpool players and Jurgen Klopp have got to gather their breath and get ready for a flight to Moscow, haven't they? What did he say again? Sorry, I was busy talking. I know you'd be. I know exactly what you. What were you talking about? Anything you I want to share? Don't be nosy, Jake. <laughs> Doing my job. Uh, Chris Hale, need new heart. Liverpool fan. It was one of those sorts of games, wasn't it? I think that's a bit harsh. I think Liverpool showed plenty of that today. A lot of fight um, and got big, uh, three big points. I love it. Whatever we say, just defends Liverpool. It wasn't a dig at Liverpool. He was just saying that was like end-to-end -end stuff. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, Simon Whittaker, Spurs burst bubbles. How about this, David Harper? Imagine being a Palace fan right now. His three-word match report, will we score? No game, no goals, no wins all season so far. But I imagine that uh, Southampton fans are feeling the same. Four goals for them all season so far this season. Let's hear from Joel. He's a Saints fan. How have we lost? I just don't know. I mean, we dominated Man United, and it's not often a team can say that. The first half was pretty average, same as usual, but the second half, we were brilliant, we were really good. We looked a threat throughout the whole 45 minutes, but I just don't get how we couldn't score. Uh, it was just 13 home games I've been to without seeing a goal at home, and I thought today was the day. Um, look at this, St Mary's shutouts. The last five games under Claude Puel, compared to the first five games under Maurizio Pellegrini, only one match of those 
they've put the ball in the back of the net and poor Joel missed that one, would you believe? I mean, here's a stat that sums it up, right? In 2017, Southampton fans have seen their team score 10 goals in 15 games. Man City fans have seen their team score as many goals in the last two weeks. There's so much to admire about Southampton, Glenn, but it must be so frustrating being a Saints fan because constant sort of... False dawns, whether it's well, brilliant managers or brilliant players that, disappearing. You just can't keep doing what they've been doing over the years. They've been doing miracles and bringing one coaches in to replace the, the coach that they lose and to bring players in. Uh, you know, they lo- they've lost so many top players. You could go through so many teams where they've started at, at Southampton. They've got some fantastic teams you could put together that started at Southampton, been sold and moved on. But you, th- there comes a time when you, you, enough's enough. And for me, I, you know, I, I knew Claude Puel very well, I played with him at Monaco. And what they did there, I think it was absolutely ludicrous. The year to consolidate, they went through Europa, let him have the second yeah. year. OK, it weren't expansive football, but he was building something and uh, he, he was going to take that on to the next level. And uh, he did it with, with, with uh, Lille and Leon. He, he opened the doors up a little bit more. But he... He needed that foundation to, to, to first be nice and tight defensively and then add the building blocks from there. He never got the chance again. Part of the problem for a club like Southampton is where do you go from here, isn't it? Do you spend way more money to go two or three places further up the league and be a Europa League regular? That's the, that's the next hurdle, isn't it? I think sometimes you've got to just understand where you are in the league and I think Southampton are a, a, a fantastic club in terms of breeding young players, as Glenn alluded to there. They, if you, Gareth Bale, Theo Walcott, Oxlade Chamberlain. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. But sometimes it becomes a point where you've got to say, we're going to hold on to a few of these now and we're going to try and build something. And I think they haven't been able to do that. They haven't given the manager opportunity to build with players. Every year it's, it's like a, a shuffle to pack straight away and just kind of, we've got player, young players coming through. We'll integrate them again and buy a few players and, and take a gamble, but get rid of the jewels. It's, for me, it doesn't work like that. You've got to try and hold on to some players. Liverpool held on to the crown jewels this year with Coutinho. Mm. He gives them free points. Statement of intent from a club yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with Rio. Yeah. I think the people above uh, at Southampton got to decide what they want. You know, do they want to try and compete and challenge and break into the top six, or are they just happy to stay in the league because they keep moving players on and, and changing managers? And I agree with Glenn. I thought Poyal was doing a really good. Just job. keeping yeah. Van Dijk show That's a change in mentality, as Liverpool did with Coutinho. Sixty millions, a lot of money for Southampton, and they, they've said no. He's staying here, so maybe, just Strange maybe, if you're time. a Saints fan, there's a bit of hope there. But obviously, uh, Van Dyke is, is a player that I could see moving on because okay. he's got that ability. All right, well, let's talk Everton now. Um, Umar Nias came in from the cold today, scored a couple of goals, and boy, did Ronald Koeman need those goals. Let's hear from Peter. Come off the man, come off the hour. Umar Nias steps off the bench to score two goals and possibly save Everton's season. Is it too early to say that? I don't know, but up till then. The, the crowd were absolutely baying for Ronald Koeman's blood. He got it wrong up to then. Uh, we were too negative, too narrow, no one wide. Nias comes on and suddenly it's a completely different game, completely different atmosphere. And finally, we've got three points to go along with the three we got against Stoke first game of the season. It's a fairy tale story. The Prince has popped up, scored three in a week and Everton might just have a new hero. Well, they might have, but it also shows Everton's problems. Umar Nias is Everton's top scorer in all competitions this season with three goals. He's played for 59 minutes. I think after the money they've spent at that football club this summer, they'll be expecting a lot more for their money, I think. Uh, well, they didn't yeah. buy a striker. I mean, I know that Rooney yeah, came in, but they didn't... I think that's where they've gone wrong. They didn't buy a striker. They've, not, they've sold Lukaku, who kind of, when they were playing average or it was below average, 
hit score one or two goals, get them out of, the, out of a bad situation. Mm. They haven't got that. And what I think they haven't invested in more than anything is they've got no pace in the team. Yeah. There's no pace running through that team. Beforehand, you had Lukaku, Morales on one side, and 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 that was pace and scarcity. Delafau yeah. on Delefau the right hand yeah. side. It's, you you, it's not you the could same. excuse them a little bit if Lukaku went in the last week of the of the transfer window. But they knew Lukaku was going to go. Mm. They knew it was going to be good money coming in. And they didn't do their business first, early doors, knowing that that was going to always happen. If it was the last couple of days, then obviously you're on the back foot. But the planning there, I'm surprised that they hadn't done that. They bought three number 10s. They're all good players. Rooney, Sigurdsson, yeah. Clausen, they're all good players. Barkley. But, yeah, Barkley. still got all the Barkley. But they haven't replaced Lukaku's goals. Mm. And that's, that's why they've been stuttering at the moment. Hence why it's crucial that Umar Nias comes in and plays. Let's, uh, should we remind ourselves, first of all, of what Ronald Koeman said about Umar Nias when he arrived at the club? Not felt pretty clear at that point that this guy wasn't going to be playing for them again. He was the last, the last guy to join the club under Roberto Martinez. And then Ronald Koeman came in and said, we made a fast decision about Nias and others who will find it difficult to be part of the team. And this is the bit, look, if Nias likes to play football, he needs to leave Everton. He then pops up, gets two goals today, and this is what Ronald Koeman had to say about it. Not, not surprising me, because I know him, but uh, last season was a totally different situation with Lukaku. Uh, we did not sign uh, a striker. And uh, we have two strikers, Sandro is 21, uh, Dominic is 20. And that uh, gave him a chance uh, to be more close to the first team. And, uh, and the boy has uh, that kind of qualities when we are struggling with his aggression and with his direct play, he can create a lot of problems. So what's happening? Do you question Ronald Koeman for coming in and making a decision that quick on a player? Or do you praise Ronald Koeman for realising that actually Umar Nias has got some qualities that Everton could use? Well, he obviously didn't sort of hit the eye. He didn't rate him at one stage. But what he didn't do is he didn't outcast him. He, well, he didn't had him say, well, playing with the under-23s, didn't you know, he? Yeah, but he, he's... he's Big enough and, and shrewd enough to say, hang on a minute, I've got to give this. No one else is doing it. I've got to give this kid a chance. So he's reversed himself and he's, he's come up with the excuses and whatever they are. But the main thing for him now, he's got somebody who's putting the ball in the back of the net. And uh, if the kid's somebody that strives on scoring goals and gets that mm. confidence, and he now thinks that the manager's got an arm around him and he wants him to play, and he'll get the best out of him. I still think he's a really excellent coach, Kim. I really do. What he did at Southampton, I think he wants to play a certain way. And I think he's shrewd enough that if he hasn't got the players, he'll find another way. But there's an ideal that he in the system that he wants to play. Mm. His idyllic sort of playing out from the back and all that. I think he's probably going to put on hold a little bit until he feels that he's, he's been working with these players. He has to win games, though. And I think if they hadn't won today, the pressure would have been really, really big on him. Mm. Yeah, well, you heard the fans saying there they were baying for his blood uh, during the game. And I think... Uh, the they're passionate fan, fans up there, old school fans up there, and they want to see their team fighting, winning, scoring, playing exciting football. They play, over the years, they're a physical team, but they excited their fans and got their, their, their fans off their seats. And at the moment, up to now, they haven't really done that this season, and, and the fans are showing their discontent. 
think it's the first year as well where they've spent really big in the yeah. transfer market. Expectation. Expectation goes higher. Yeah, the Everton fans already have high expectations, but when you make five, six signings for big money, that goes up even more. And it's an unusual emotion for those fans, isn't it? Because for a long time they haven't done that. So they're not used to starting a season thinking, right, here we go, you know, we're going to blow people away because we've spent big. Yeah, that's true. But they normally yeah. stay normally slow starters, Everton. Like, over the years gone by, they normally are slow starters. But what I would say, and the point we made earlier, when you take pace out of a team the way they have and invest in new players, yes, quality players, but you, there's no pace within that front line, it's difficult to get out. Teams can defend on the front foot and high and press the game and squeeze the game and there's no space for you. You said about the pace that United have got in their team yeah. this year. The difference. Everton are lacking it. Yeah. Um, lots of comments coming in on social media. Jamie says, I don't know what world I'm living in where Umar Nias has just come off the bench and scored to win us the game, but I love it. Uh, Chris, Kuman owes Nias a big apology for how he's treated him. Sam, a win's a win, but no grossing over just how shocking we were for the majority of the game. Kuman has got to learn from that. Uh, EFC People's Group. This shape Kuman persists with is killing us. So narrow, so slow, no width, bailed out by lads that he doesn't trust. Major issues with Kuman. Um, and Eric Venus don't think it will happen, but Kuman needs to have a heart to heart with Rooney. He shouldn't be starting at the moment. He hurts the club. And Ellie Toffey didn't have a lock or a squad number this time last year. Umar Nias has probably just kept Ronald Kuman in a job. Right, uh, let's talk Chelsea. Maratta or Costa? Morata scored a hat-trick today. Um, so far, he's got six this season. Costa managed 20 in the Premier League last year. Who would you rather have in your team? Difficult question. Different players. You've got Costa on one hand, who's very aggressive, physical, emotionally involved in football matches, scores goals. Morata, the quiet assassin. Um, but he has class and he's goal record wherever he's been. The, the year he had in Juventus, when they went in the Champions League, he was fantastic, scoring goals. Leading the line really well. I think he's a great fit for Chelsea. I think he's someone who's an exquisite finisher, but he's very, very clean with the way he plays. And I, I really like him. With Hazard, with Willian behind, I think they've got the tools, they've got the firepower to really kind of be in amongst the two Manchester teams for the title. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go Morata. I really would. I think him and Harry Kane are all round centre forwards. He, he can head. Headed goals, plays off his left, plays off his right. He's got great movement, you know. And uh, for me, internally, there's no problems with him. He's not yeah. going to cause you a problem internally with the team spirit. And uh, I think they're a better team for it. I, I really do. Stat-wise, we can't judge him yet until he mm. plays as, as long as Costa played, and, and then we'll judge him on the goals that he scored. But he's he's come to this country and he's he's hit the road running. There's no doubt about it. And he's got the technicians to give him. He's got the ammo behind him, isn't he? At the end of the day, you give him chances, he'll put it in the back of the net. Is it ever a good deal to sell your top scorer, regardless of the money that you get for him? Well, it's difficult because Diego Costa wants her to go. I think he's manufactured the move himself. Um, you know, he was high maintenance, so he's piping up. And I think this is a better long-term option for Chelsea. I think he gives them a bit more pace. He runs behind a little bit more, but there's no getting away from it. Costa done a good job. You know, he won the league there, and they've got good money for him. So I think it's a win-win situation for Chelsea. Um, B. Jan, who's a Chelsea fan, Avaro Morata masterclass, Scott Hayden hammered at home. Um, how would you describe Liverpool's performance today in three words? Massive three points. No, he's about the first person to get that right all season. Much better than Martin Keown's effort. With you. <laughs> uh, right, let's hear from Rob Armstrong. Um, he is our ever frustrated West Ham fan. We feel sorry for him, but he's always got an opinion. This is what he thinks of their performance today. Depressing afternoon at the London Stadium where, again, our team's just sort of given up for half an hour. If we we either can see no goals or we can see three or four or five, and it's happened again and again and again, especially against the, the better teams in the league. And for that to happen, 
for them to lose concentration and, and seem to not care for half an hour of a game against probably one of one of two massive local rivals we've got in this league is unacceptable because it means so much to the fans. It needs to mean that to the team. And I don't know if it's a lack of if if it's them not caring or if it's them not being organised and concentrating. And I think that falls at Billich's door. Uh, the pressing day, the pressing day, and the ref was useless. So yeah, blame him as well. I don't, and I don't blame Rob for blaming everyone because it must be rubbish being a West Ham fan at the moment. And I know that afterwards Bilic came out and he praised the fight back. But this is against Tottenham. This is like the game that really matters to these fans at home. You can't be praising the fight back. You shouldn't be going that many goals down to start with. Just not good enough. Yeah, but that's football. It happens. Sometimes you just get you, you don't come out of the blocks in the right fashion and you can get punished at this level. You have to remember you're playing against a, t a very good, a top-class Tottenham team with a, a great finisher in Kane. He gets two goals today, assisted by Dele Alli. So they're great technicians in there. But West Ham have to find a way of, of, of playing and they have to find a way of getting results at that new stadium. I think there's a hangover still from leaving uh, Upton Park and I, I just think that they haven't come to terms with it. I don't even like going there and watching the game at the moment, just no. the way the stadium is, the atmosphere within that stadium. There's a lot of fans there with excuses not liking the stadium, etc. And I think that's just carrying... They were loud to today, team. though, to be fair to them, the fans. They played their part yeah, but today. It, it, but, but the team have to lift the fans, The no? last two years, I remember doing a game, we did Sunderland, West Ham Sunderland last year, and West Ham were awful on the day. I think it was nil, one nil. They were, they were awful. They were playing Tottenham on the Tuesday. Yeah. The crowd were on their back. I said, this place will be completely different at Upton Park. And it was. They beat Tottenham 2-0. That is their massive game. Mm. And they played exceptionally well, completely different than the Saturday. But I think that stadium, Upton Park, worked for that. The loudness was there today, but it wasn't hostile. It wasn't mm. right on top of you. And like, it's a lovely place to go and play football oh. if you were the waiting. A little bit like... But Slav and Bilic and the West Ham players have got to find the answer to this. Of course, yeah. You, know, you can't blame the fans because no, if no. they're making a noise in the stadium, it doesn't suit a noisy, intense Upton Park type atmosphere. That's not their fault. They've got to be winning football matches. The more they win, the louder the fans will become. It's a simple. I think equation. we spoke about West Ham a lot on this show, and you know, 12 months ago we were talking about them conceding too many goals. They've still got the same problem 12 months later. So, you know what, until, in the 25 they, games they've played in 2017, Stephen, they've conceded two or more in 14 of those games. There you go. That's, that says it all. You can't you can't do well in this league against the opposition you're coming up against if you keep conceding two and three three goals. Let's take the temperature of the West Ham fans, right? Nick Treadwell. The bloke should have gone an age ago. No tactical awareness whatsoever. Tony says, this is boring now. The press and the pundits are itching to get another manager sacked. Uh, Jamie Sinclair, goodness me. Um, he doesn't know um, his something from his elbow tactically. We play championship football. Thanks for that, guys. And are a disaster at the back. Um, Carlton Cole, maybe the Carlton Cole. West Ham fans need to calm down. Carroll did all right over the last couple of games and Billich's game plan was destroyed of Antonio. Liam Spencer, West Ham were playing really well and were arguably the better side until Antonio went off. Why bring on Carroll and completely change the system? Uh, Raj says Joe Hart couldn't save a Word document. Ryan Presley, the board needs to go first. Um, Irish Tommy, Tottenham weren't great today. This was a winnable game at Billich gave them three points with a terrible tactical decision. Very poor, to be honest. And John Moore, Billich panicked when Antonio went off. No way Carroll should have been brought on at that time. I'm sick to death of Billich and his lack of ideas. Certainly the criticism on social media, at least, and you always take it with a pinch of salt along with the praise on social media, it's being aimed at the manager, not at the players. 
Is that it for Slaven Bilic? Should that be it for Slaven Bilic? No, I think he's had a, a good amount of money to spend in the, in the window. He's, he's, he's gone and invested in some, I think, some really good players. I, 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 f I thought they'd have a, a decent season this season, but with the experience that they brought in. Um, but it hasn't, it hasn't been that way, and I think that players need, need to take responsibility as well. And when you give the man a manager that amount of money to spend, you can't after six games then say, that's it, shut up shop, we're going to get rid of him and start again. I think you've got to, you've got to persist with it, you've got to go with it. So what do you do? Do you wait till January, give him another transfer window and see where you are in February? I, I think ten games is a good is a good point. I think you, you, you assess at ten games and then see from there. I think that anything before that, you're still shaping your team, you're still shaping your squad, you're still shaping who's going to play with the personnel, where they're going to play, who plays best with who, relationships, etc. I think that on the management side is right, and I think that's what the owners have got to do. But I think the fa from the fans' point of view, where you're coming from, it's the back end of last season. It's not like Slavin's gone in there now and tried to put it right now, and you say, well, we've got to give him a bit of time. You know, what happened at Palace, for me, is ludicrous. Yeah, but it, it's the back end of, of last season as well. Yeah. And they managed to turn it round then. Now he's, brought, he's been given the money. I think they're expecting a little bit more. And for me, it's the way they're playing. They don't look as if they're going to open teams up when they're playing with a lot of confidence. It is really that jeopardy. One, one way it might go, one week it might go well for you, but there's no continuity where you, they look like they've got a pattern of play that you think they're onto something and the results will turn. Yeah. I think we mentioned it quite a few times on this show and in the, in the, during the game before. Pace. West Ham don't look like a, a very a mobile team at the moment. There isn't pace running through that team. And on that pitch, the size of that pitch is a big pitch there. Every pitch is the same size, similar size, but it's how a pitch feels when you're on there. It's different. It's hard to kind of explain it, but when yeah. you're a footballer, when you see a pitch, you go, that's a big pitch. Yeah. West Ham's pitch is a big pitch, and I don't think that team has adjusted to that, let alone the stadium. Okay. And Upton Park, that stadium could make it feel small, yeah. intense. And they want to get at you. And a game like that, against, they want to get really yeah. tackled. Well, get the crowd going. The they yeah. couldn't, they, it was a niggly game. I watched the game. It was a niggly sort of game for half an hour, and it suited West Ham. Tottenham didn't have time to get the ball down and play their game, but eventually they did because of the open spaces with it. Bilic, one word answer, stay or go? For now. Stay. I think he needs a bit more time, but do you need to tighten up and stop leaking goals? Stay. You got one word right, well done. Uh, okay, right, time to talk Gareth Barry now. Um, he could become the record appearance maker in the Premier League in the next couple of days. Um, here is his career through the eyes of those that have enjoyed watching him play. His goal against Spurs for Villa at Villa Park. <laughs> well, that's always going to be remembered by all Villa fans because that was an absolute belter. Um, technical ability is awesome. Um, and it really doesn't surprise me that he is um, going to beat the record that Ryan Giggs set. His finest contribution would have been the 2011-2012 season, the Aguero season, when he started 34 out of 38 games. Now, it's the type of player that won't make it onto a match highlights reel for your club, but if he plays for your team week in, week out, you can see what he brings to the pitch. What an absolute inspiration for the youngsters at Everton in the last 12 months. He's brought on players like Tom Davis and Mason Holgate, who look up to a professional like Gareth Barry, and uh, he's been exceptional everywhere he's gone. You know, I think he's a direct replacement for and an upgrade on uh, Darren Fletcher. Uh, he's got a fantastic passing range and always does the right thing when he gets the ball, does the simple things really well. Uh, my question to the panel is just how long do you think he could carry on playing at the top of the game? He's 36 now. How much longer? I think he's still got a bit to go because he's never been a player who's been blessed with pace. The way he plays, you know, he's very technical. He's an excellent passer of the game. He controls the tempo of games. Um, me and Rio have played with him for, for many, many years. He's, he's a tough footballer. 
I really liked playing when I when I played in teams with England. He was really good to play because you could play the ball to him. He always wanted the ball, and I think that was a sign. You could, when you play with top players, they don't hide. They come. They want the ball when the game's one nil up, whether you're three or two nil down. Mm-hmm. He'll take the ball and take that responsibility. And he had a great left foot, a great range of passing, and he was very an unassuming guy. When he was very calm, really yeah. just chilled out kind of guy. And he was a, a top, top, top Premier League player. Is he sort of a manager's dream, yeah. isn't he? It's one of them that you, you want in every, as a manager, you want those sort of players. You want one, maybe two, in a different position to them as well, that in your side, gives you no problems. Someone who's now got the experience, and I would imagine, you know, Koeman at the moment would be one that he pulls aside as a chat from the player's perspective to the management. Mm. It's almost like a, an extension of your management on the pitch. And I think it's an important job that he's got, and I think he will continue to play. And uh, as long as he doesn't get caught out in positions where he gets exposed, I think in that central midfield position he could play for another season. I think he was a great replacement for Darren Fletcher. You know, they lost a lot of experience there in Darren, and it's a like for like in terms of yeah. experience. And you can trust Gareth on the ball. He'll help all the young lads around him. I think it's a shrewd move by Tony. And talking of replacements, Benitez was a big fan. Is it is it right that he was thinking about selling Xabi Alonso and bringing Gareth Barry in as his replacement? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. When was that? I don't remember ago. the year. I just That's remember getting the phone call over it. Yeah, he wanted to move Javi on and bring Gareth in. Now, for me, that wasn't the right move. Although I'm, I'm a big fan of Gareth Barry, I'd have had him in to play alongside Javi because I think yeah. they both could have worked it together. Yeah. But I don't think it was the right move from a Liverpool point of view to replace Javi Alonso with Gareth Barry because the fans loved Javi. He was a world-class player, and for me, Rafa should have been doing everything to keep him, not move him on. And I know a couple of years later. He tried to go back in for him. Did he not ask you to put a good word in for Liverpool or something? Because it was Liverpool or Man City. No, I can't remember that one. Oh, Jay, it's out of order. <laughs> Do you not? <laughs> you don't remember that? He said it was in Raffa's book, yeah, I think. Yeah. Give him a slap. I haven't read it. I haven't it's in Raffa's book? I haven't read his book. Don't believe all you read. <laughs> Even in Raffa's own book. That never happened. I haven't read his book. It's a good book. You should read his book. It's a good book. <laughs> Nothing in there about Newcastle, but it's a good book. Um, what made you... Retire because you talk about a lack of pace. Was it a lack of pace? What because no, you could have just dropped further back and sprayed balls around. And as a midfielder, you can do that, can't you? I'm still as quick as I was, Jake. That wasn't the problem. Yeah. Uh, my problem was I didn't like being sub. Um, and Brendan yeah. pulled me and said, You know, I wouldn't be an automatic starter, I was going to become more of a squad player. And for me, the buzz was always starting football matches on a weekend. And for someone like Gareth, who now is thinking, Maybe I've got a season, maybe a couple of seasons left, what would your message be? Is it don't retire too early because you can't go back once you're done. No, I'd say don't go on too long, more really? importantly, because I've done that at QPR um, and you, there are days when you sit there and think, what, what, what am I doing? Should I even be here? And you, st- you don't want to leave the game with a bit of taste in your mouth. I think Gareth had a fantastic career, had some great moments, Manchester City won things and, and I think he's, a, he's a, a smart enough guy to know when the time is right and he'll, he'll yeah. make the right call. And his uh, career highlight, he says, is United won City 6 from a few seasons ago. He's an average player. He's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, right? Well, time to talk now about um, underrated players. Jacob's got in touch to say Nacho Monreal for Arsenal, the most consistent player over the last few seasons in multiple positions. Uh, Scott Barkley, it's easy for me. Kieran Clark was unsure when we signed him, but he's been huge for us last season and this. And Joe Sargent, Charlie Daniels at Bournemouth. He stepped up to meet the quality of every tier of football. He's a modern fullback that scores goals. And I think Park Ji-sung might get a few mentions. David Collins mentions him. You may well do the same in a minute. But first, it's over to you for the unsung heroes at your club. 
Looking at underrated players, Leicester City's has to be Shinji Okazaki. He's the heartbeat of the side and when he's not in the squad, uh, we definitely miss him. Most underrated Saints player? I reckon it's got to be Chris Marsden, football genius. I think the fact that he was like balding, uh, didn't look like the most glamorous player, just meant he was way underappreciated. The guy had absolutely gorgeous, silky skills. Total football genius. Manchester City, people start to think about the De Bruyne and the Aguero and the David Silva as the indispensable players. But for me, Fernandinho, the man's undroppable. The most underrated footballer at Chelsea has to be Azpilicueta, or as we like to call him, Dave. I think I have to go with Sean Derry and I'm in his first spell with Palace. It's interesting, he was very underappreciated. Um, you know, essentially people were pretty happy when he left and it was only when we had to sort of kind of beg him back from Leeds that people realised that he was exactly the sort of player we were missing. As well as doing the stuff that others didn't want to do, he was a real leader, had the old bicycle kick in him as well and a good goal off his backside. John Eustace. What a guy. John Eustace. Every club has him, don't they? Yeah, Manchester United, I would, I would go for um, Jason Park. Um, didn't have all the skills and the stepovers of the Ronaldos and the, the Roonies, etc. But his work rate was phenomenal. And in the big games, the manager always played him. And he, he'd normally pop up with an important goal. And he was just a great lad to have around the place. Really nice guy. Uh, and a great work ethic, which was appreciated by his fellow players. It's true. Like on a big Champions League night, you could almost guarantee that Fergie would put him in the team, wouldn't he? Yeah, I remember we played against Milan in, in, in Milan, and Pirlo was at the, the centre of everything that they'd done. And the manager played at Jason Park on him as a man-marking job. And I'm sure Pirlo woke up the next morning and he, thought, he looked at the bottom of his bed and expected to see Jason Park there. <laughs> but um, he, was that, he was that good. And he, just, and he scored well, goals, important yeah, goals. Did, but whatever the manager set out for him to do, whether it was defend against somebody, stop someone playing, or go in there and make a difference in the opposing team's box, he'd carry that out. Uh, G on Twitter says, Gilberto Silva, an absolute star for us during the Invincibles era. He just did his job. Um, and sticking with the United theme, Jace says, Antonio Valencia constantly dropping quality performances under various managers in various positions. He's the ultimate team player. So good. What about for you, Glenn? Not that far back. I think in the team I was... Come on. Yeah. Can I, you remember? I've got to say Tony Galvin. Yeah. Was our, you know, we had Ozzy and Ricky and all that. But Tony put such a, a stint, he worked so hard. He's a left winger, right footed left winger. Used to put his mark on a full back first. He was the only winger you'd ever see it back in the day. But he was such a strong player. Could run all day long and gave us so much width, which we needed, and uh, worked really hard, really hard for the team and was a very good player. And do you get players that are bothered about being the unsung hero, do you think? They don't mind that they're playing alongside a Steven Gerrard, a Glenn Hoddle or a Rio Ferdinand. They kind of play that role quite well. Yeah, I think they do. I think that's a part of why they, they, they're such a good player for the team. We're not talking about players that are going to excite people to go and watch and pay money to go and watch and go for big transfers. It's, it, it's, it's the player that, you know, you know as a, your teammate in that team, without him, there's a big difference. Mm. The manager knows that. And they're, they're, they're players that are... In a team game, you can't win a game on your own. You need that balance, and those players are, are so, so valuable. And normally, they, they, them players bring something the superstars don't bring to the yeah. game as well. Not the, hard work. Yeah, not hard work, <laughs> but the, 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 the grittiness and the, the hard yard sometimes. Yeah. The dirty bits, yeah, the, the hard running, yeah, putting the body on the line and yeah, throwing 13k out maybe when the star players only put 10 in. They mm -hmm. do all the bits that go unnoticed. And when really. you've got those players and they don't get stopped like you do for autographs or they're not all over the front and back pages of the papers like you guys were or are, what do you do in the dressing room to make them still feel part of the team and integral? 
Just well, a pat on the back. Yeah, well, they're still, they're still an important cog in the machine. And, you know, as Glenn said, you can't be successful on your own. It's a team game and you need them important players in your team that are prepared to do the basics so well. I mean, Dear Kite was our player, um, mm. you know, at the risk of echoing what Rio said, a bit similar to Jason Poor, where he ran his legs off, important goals. The manager would always play him, you'd trust him. He was playing out of position on the right, but he was safe in possession and very important player for us. Would you ever prefer having that quiet life, the unsung hero life? It, uh, no. I wanted to be the hero, man. I, of course I, was, you did. I was devastated I was playing centre back, really. <laughs> right. I wanted to be a number did, 10. Did you not start centre forward as a kid? I started no, centre midfield. Centre midfield. I was, like, I was a Stephen Gerrard of my time. Oh, right. So I was like the Royal Rovers. But no, I, I was a. I think every kid dreams about being the goal scorer, the, the go-to guy, and that responsibility yeah. of winning games for your football team. But then there's a role for everyone in the team. I had to be put back into defence. When, when did that happen? Best. When I was about 14, the centre half, the two centre halves didn't turn up for a game at West Ham, and the manager put me at centre back, and I played half decent. And every week he kept putting me there, I had the ump. I was devastated. And the goals dried up, just get moved. Yeah. Have you got over it now? Yeah. Are you all right about this now? It still kind of gets on my nerves, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. Good point, Stephen, when the goals dried up and go back. <laughs> but you were, you were probably the star right through, weren't you? From the age of seven, you were like the superstar in your team. Not really. You know, I've always played with superstars as well, fear that had me. You know, my job was to try and help them, provide ammunition for them to score the goals. Um, but as you know, as Rio said, everyone's just as important yeah. as each other within a team. And now that you're managing, looking after the under-18s at Liverpool and the under-19s in the, in the European competition, you, it's about getting that mix for you now as a, as, a, as a coach and a manager, isn't it? What mix? Getting the mix of the superstars, the young superstars, and those guys that are grafters, hard workers, just getting the balance in your yeah, team. I think, right? I think the key, I'm sure, Glenn, will back it up. You've got to get them all to buy into a philosophy of in possession and out of possession. You know, you can't just be individuals who, who want the ball at your feet. You've got to graft for the team. If you want results mm. and be consistent, you've got to do both sides of the game. And what about a modern player? Who do you watch now when you're commentating on these games? Well, and funny enough, today, I, I, I think Albrighton was absolutely excellent. He nearly got man, man a match for me, but... I think he does such a great job. He's, he's a good crosser of the ball. He works exceedingly hard. He's back in his own box. He's then putting crosses in. And he's got good technique. It was a lovely bit of skill he, he produced for, uh, for uh, in the second half there. A little Cruyff and spun out and put a lovely cross in. Left foot cross. Those are the things that I think, you know, I don't think he gets the... It's all about Vardy and Mares over the years and whatever. But uh, I think he's a really good player. One that the manager would go, yeah, every week I'll put him in. Yeah. It's changed a bit, hasn't it? You know, wing-backs and holding midfielders now, you know, whether it's a Kante or a Mendy. They've, be they've sort of become the stars of the team in some ways, haven't they? It used to just be the strikers and the number 10. Yeah, you would Kante would have jumped out at you yeah. as one of the unsung heroes normally, but he's getting a great name for himself and he's appreciated, fully appreciated. But I think the more social media and the more eyes, eyeballs that are on the game, it's harder to have people that are unsung nowadays. If you put good performances in, you get noticed now. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Next week, we'll be at Stamford Bridge for a huge game as Chelsea take on Manchester City, so make sure you join us. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please do subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now.